Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Hotel Tonight. If you're like me and you are not so great at planning ahead, you have to try Hotel Tonight. Hotel Tonight is an app that helps you find amazing deals at the last minute, up to seven days in advance. And it's perfect for a spontaneous getaway or indulging in a little staycation. All it takes is 10 seconds, just three taps and a swipe. So what are you waiting for? Get in on these killer last minute deals and download the Hotel Tonight app now. Today's show is also brought to you by the new Spotify original podcast, Mogul, The Life and Death of Chris Lighty. Produced by Gimlet Media and Loudspeakers Network, Mogul details the illustrious hip-hop career of Chris Lighty and his rise to success before an unfortunate and untimely end. This is broader than just music. It's the story of the American dream. Follow and listen to Mogul, The Life and Death of Chris Lighty, every week starting April 27th on Spotify. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio, the hung parliament, it's Andy Greenwald and Allison Herman. Yo, we just did, later in the show, we're going to be, we're joined by Allison Herman now from The Ringer. It's a Ringer Palooza day. Say hi, Allison. Hello. So that fresh, everybody can hear you. Fresh from the trenches of the content wars. Yes. I'm here to give my opinions and my takes. It, Excited it, to be here. And we have Rob Hervilla also of the ringer.com yeah. joining us in a little bit to talk about the Americans. Yep. Um, and uh, this I is a loosey goosey day. It, it, Obviously, on television, people have been watching uh, uh, Comey, you know, your mm-hmm. boy. That was a good show. That's, but that is, that's the biggest show of the week. It got that, weird at the end. I think Comey yeah. gets the belt. Co- I think it was Comey Jim Ponowazic who called it the Watergate reboot. Yeah, it's good this time. Although the, the old man character that wandered onto the set at the end, <laughs> that guy was a little bit. You no, know, he was up late watching Arizona Diamondbacks games, which that is the been best cool euphemism if, if, uh, I've ever heard in my life. Nobody watches Arizona Diamondbacks <laughs> games, come on. It would have been cool if, if Comey had just done the Dr. Amp shit shovel speech. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah! From Twin Peaks. Uh, from from the show Twin Peaks. Yeah, right. It's yeah. just a little bit of a, a segue I'd like to make. Do you want Do you want to get down to it? Well, we can talk about Twin Peaks. I just feel like this has been, and you know, I'm coming out of the NBA playoffs. I got at least one more game. I'm hoping the last one tomorrow night. No offense to the Cleveland fans, but my nights are going to be free, Allison. And wow. you know, we're going to talk a little bit do about you know Twin how Peaks. many Diamondbacks games he's going to get up to. I was just wondering, what is it like to have a night without anything on your viewing agenda? This is such a foreign sensation to me. I started just watching uh, golf instructional videos on YouTube. I have heard. Guys, (laughs) last night I had a free uh, 19 minutes, and I watched another episode of Samurai Gourmet (laughs) in which, you won't believe this, the main character tried on sunglasses, was worried they made him look shady, went to an Italian restaurant, and ordered spaghetti. <laughs> Did the samurai help him to do these things? The samurai told him basically not to be fearful that he was like acting uncouth in a fancy restaurant and that he could get chopsticks and slurp his spaghetti and he didn't have to like eat it delicately with a fork. And I'm he was fascinated really happy. that the samurai is apparently contributing to like sartorial decisions and not nope. just culinary ones. Great call. Great call. The samurai did not comment on the sunglasses. They had been removed at that point. Okay, I'm glad I clarified. Fun fact, did you guys know that in Japan, uh, wearing sunglasses is considered a little bit odd because usually Yakuza wear sunglasses. Oh, so I would definitely wow. rock some sunglasses. Yeah. Right there. yeah. Um, you... That didn't come up in the episode. That's just a little Samurai fun fact like the, That's the, like the 15-minute episodes on Netflix. And it's about a guy's like entry into the world. It's about a 60-year-old man. Culinary delights. Who eats lunch. I can't believe it's my dream show. What a world, man! I can't. I can't believe Netflix is free. Except to co- I mean, I know it costs money, but you know what I mean. Like, it's I just, just there for you. I just can't believe that they're just like sounds good. Whatever yeah. it takes. What's your favorite spring. food show? 
food show. Um, Hannibal would be the proper answer, <laughs> wow. I think. Well played. I mean, I've been rewatching, so we talked a little bit about American Gods uh, in the office, yeah. and on the occasion, it's on Amazon Prime, back at back seasons of Hannibal, and I rewatched a few episodes, and that holds up. They keep teasing the the, the another season of that, don't they? The Fuller keeps dropping. It's a, um, it, the Silence of the Lambs rights, like the Thomas Harris rights. It's a cause very... celeb. It's a thing for hashtag fanables to wear flower crowns. Um, wow. Yeah, it's. Like, I don't know if it's going to happen. And but listen to Live Through This together. by Whole? Or but, but, just like... but it is exciting because, remember, first of all, Hannibal was a magnificent show and a really unique show. But it also was enticing to people because I think Fuller talked about how he had a plan yeah. to tell all of Thomas Harris's novels through the prism of his show. They were going to get to the um, the Silence of the Lambs yeah. cases. And he was even going to take a swing at, at, at Hannibal, right? The book, uh, the plot from that book. Right. I think so. And it's... Sort of crazy how the show went out in that it kind of could have been a finale, and then they just tacked on a cliffhanger that also happened to involve Gillian Anderson, which was just custom designed to drive the internet insane. Do you have, um, if they brought it back as Silence of the Lambs, if they did the Silence of the Lambs storyline, do you have a, a dream Clarice? I love you're putting her on the spot today. Like this, like this yeah, is this is the I, next level up for us. I can't is- say I've dared to to venture there because what Brian Fuller is capable of coming up with in his imagination. I've never really thought of. Ooh, maybe like a Jillian Jacobs type. Interesting. Maybe she's very good. She is quite good. She's great. And I want to see her do drama. Yeah. And you don't get more dramatic than. And and she's one of those people who was trained to be a dramatic actor. And then, Slid into comedy. Yeah, I have rewatched Silence recently because of after Demi passed away, and I was just like, that that movie is still like, there's nothing wrong with that movie. It's just like a perfect movie. And probably the last time. Is it too scary for you? No, I love that movie. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for looking out for me. (laughs) That's probably the last time the we're knocking on the wrong door misdirect. Oh, yeah. Has really. That was incredible. I remember when I saw it the first. What? It's a different door. Yeah. Um, it's a good segue, Allison. We wanted to have you on for a number of reasons, but one of them is we like to have you on because in your capacity as TV critic for The Ringer, you watch everything um, or many things. Not everything. You watch a bunch of things. But a lot, yes. Um, I no longer do, and I feel fabulous. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, but you watch things that you think maybe we should be watching. You mentioned Brian Fuller. I feel like we should touch back in with American Gods, which Chris and I watched the beginning of we watched the yep. first one Sorry. or two um i was entertained um in no way compelled to keep watching um please tell me why i'm wrong or if i'm wrong so i think it's sort of rare to have such a definitive turning point in a tv show i mean obviously the consensus in the leftovers is it got better but it's not like season one was totally you know there's guests um there's Good episodes and Whoa. otherwise hey, 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 you're coming out of my corner here. Season one was bad. That's my thing. <laughs> we're we're going to agree to disagree there. Okay. But um, I think with American Gods, there's re- something really interesting happened in that the fourth episode was a spotlight episode about a supporting character who is Shadow's deceased wife. Oh. And played I by, think... Who's she played by? Uh, Emily Browning. Right. right. Oh, right. I wondered because... She's a well, I mean, not famous, but she is a well-regarded actress, and she appeared only in that phone call, right, in the pilot. Yes, and I think one of the things that is sort of an impediment to American Gods is they do not mind taking their time. They have Crispin Glover as 
basically, I think he's a series regular and he doesn't show up until episode five, but she gets a spotlight episode that I think could have been, you know, oh, we find out this backstory that we didn't find out about her in the novel. That's cool. Let's move on. But what they do is they basically solve the biggest structural problem in the show, which is that they have a protagonist who is not super compelling because he's starting from a raw material where in the book he's basically not a character. He's just a passive conduit of information and exposition to you. I would also say the actor is not the most expressive actor. Is that yes. fair to say? Maybe he's improved. I also, I want to grade him on something of a curve just because like this, they're starting with <laughs> negative anything. And he's a British model. Yes, and Which, he's a British model. Like, so like I also think Chris maybe is also for a British me, model. Maybe for me personally, he's slightly more compelling. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, they have this spotlight episode that gives her full motivation, backstory, and everything. And then they actually carry her into the rest of the show, and they basically just make her a second protagonist. And mm. you realize that the show gets so much better when they make it more like a TV show. Like, as someone who um, read the novel and watched the first few episodes, I remember knowing, you know, they went through this abortive attempt at HBO. They went through, like, three writers. Yeah. And I remember thinking, you know, it's sort of weird because the actual thing they came up with is a pretty straightforward adaptation. I wonder why it took so long. And then it gets noticeably better when it starts departing from the book and adding more point of view characters. And there are also other characters who are more marginal in the book who become uh, not fully co-protagonists, but much more active. It's like more of an ensemble rather than like a foreground. Yeah, okay. Yeah, exactly. So I know it is so annoying to be told, wait until X episode and it gets good. But I do think the fourth episode is a genuine turning point for the show. And it's not like it scales back on any of the things that I'm sure you guys found interesting about it, which is the insane visuals mm-hmm. and the fun little side vignettes. And McShane. And, and just, McShane. Just McShane. Just lots of McShane. Although, actually, uh, I'm almost done with Sunday's episode, and I don't even think he's in it, but it's a Pablo Schreiber episode. It's because he's too busy narrating golf documentaries. <laughs> That's <laughs> what you really care about. <laughs> but, yeah, I think... It's just, I'm so happy that the show has been made. I love that Brian Fuller has been given the budget and the uh, non-network standard standards and practices department uh, to do whatever he do pleases. You, do, this is more of a behind-the-scenes question that I'm not really aware of. Do, how involved is he? Because Michael Green... Uh, Create, worked on it with him, right? Is not yeah. is not show running. Who's who's They're running the show? Co-show running. Co-show running because Mike Green also has. He's written every movie that came yeah. out this year, yes. but he also is doing uh, Why the Last Man for FX. Um, they're developing it on some level. I don't know where yeah. that is. So I interviewed the two of them together in anticipation oh, of the premiere, and my impression was Brian Fuller started, and mm-hmm. then he was like, "This is too big a task for one person. I need." A partner mm-hmm. and they very much presented themselves as co-equal partners in the endeavor and I know Fuller stepped away from the Star Trek right. thing that's going on in CBSL Access so we could devote his attentions more fully so I know they're renewed for a second season if you had to I'm take a, a, an informed guess do you think that he because to me I mean even though American Gods I know is like a really beloved property Star Trek is kind of like that's to do Star Trek even for CBSL Access would be a huge opportunity does him stepping away from Star Trek at CBS All Access suggest that it became very CBS-y? I don't know in the sense that I do buy the idea that American Gods is very demanding and mm-hmm. he couldn't do two. And I know he wrote the story for the first two episodes and maybe just wrote wrote the pilot. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think it's a huge endeavor and I can't even imagine signing on to both of them. Yeah, right. But I will say the trailer that they showed at Upfronts was For Star Trek. Yes. Yeah. Was um, 
had some someone on Twitter pointed out as some much some of the most obvious like sound overdubbing I've ever seen in the trailer. Mm-hmm. It didn't look like it was super ready for prime time. Yeah. You know, it was interesting, but it's been pushed back a few times. It's yeah. got it, the troubled production label it has to work off. Yeah, I, I think that it's very possible to, to draw sorts of conclusions, but I think it's not it's probably safe to say that if Hannibal proved anything, it's that that Brian Fuller's sensibility, the way he likes to work, is not necessarily a perfect fit for network. And even though it's all access, it's still CBS. And yeah, it's still a major property. I also they think need that to something like Star Trek, despite the success of something like Next Generation over the years, it's that that is something that I think you can do stories like that, like Firefly, or was it Firefly when it was on TV and then it was... Serenity, right? Serenity yeah, Serenity's the movie. the movie. Yeah, so f- whether it's Firefly or Next Generation or any number of shows that have taken place in pretty sci-fi-like locales, you're always going to like kind of walk the line where like if it looks bad or if it doesn't look right, it's a real turnoff because that's like 60% of the reason you're there is to be in space, right? Like, And it's also, there's so much more of a range on TV. So it's not like, oh, it's TV, so it's inherently going to look cheaper. It's, oh, there's an even more elaborate sci-fi show going on on stars right. that looks better than what right. I'm going to get on ABC. Before we move on from American Gods, for people who are listening who have not watched it, what is your, do you have like a one sentence pitch to get them on board? Is there, is there a comp? You'd Besides make, we, Ian McShane is on TV again? Yeah, I think that was, that was basically where Chris and I left it. That was the only place where we <laughs> engaged with it. I just think it's an incredible opportunity for one of TV's most daring visual storytellers to really like have the chain taken off and also to partner up with someone who's already an incredibly beloved storyteller across several mm-hmm. mediums. Neil Gaiman. And yes, Neil Gaiman. And it's totally worth giving it your time. I'm also someone who does not mind how slow it was just because I'm I'm happy to let Orlando Jones ranting into the camera just wash over me. Speaking of things that some people find slow that I find intoxicating, <laughs> we haven't talked about Twin Peaks in no, a No, let's do it. Let's do Twin Peaks real quick before we get to Rob. I'm so in on the fifth episode. Thank you. Me too. Oh, I was yeah, talking these, to a friend who about doesn't this. like it? Uh, Alan Seppenwall. I'm sorry. I, I mentioned him when I speak to Rob too, which sounds like I'm foretelling the future, oh, but yeah. we already did that interview. Um, he was a little bit out on it. I mean, I think people are feeling their way through it and no one knew what this was going to be. No one knew what to expect. And the fact that we are just still parked with Dougie. Um, and a weird box is ringing in Buenos Aires. Yeah. yeah. Which which I believe they filmed on location in Buenos Aires. I think that that was one of the reasons why David Nevins was crazy sweating. crazy for this one, Nevins. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, sorry, go on. I will say, you know, you mentioned we didn't know we were getting it first. And yet this is the first episode where I felt like this is a TV show. We are yep. returning to characters that we you know, in the span of David Lynch, we understand. We sort of get what's happening with the Cooper Duggies, which are ruined evil coop. And we're returning to storylines that we saw last week. And we're not getting it in this like giant bingeable block of four. And I remember thinking as I was watching it, I'm so happy that this is going to be like an hour of my life every Sunday night for the next 13 nights. And I don't feel as stunned into silence as I was in the first 20 minutes of episode three. But I feel grounded enough that I can be blown away by Dr. Jacoby becoming Alex Jones. Yeah, right. I mean, I think I said to Allison after the after I watched the episode that I was like, the only thing that I would say as a note of caution is that, like, we're up around 20 characters now. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, just like when they introduced the guy who was smoking at the Bang Bang Club at the end of... Who, uh, five. who uh, close watchers might have noticed, was credited in the credits as with having the last name Horn. 
like Jerry Horn. We don't know. We don't know. I mean, I'm pouring over those. Credits, I just was man. like so noting fun. that, like him on top of Caleb Landry Jones and Amanda Seyfried, on top of you know old characters, new characters, teenage characters, older characters, like just at total. And when we'll cut, and then when they cut to Agent Preston, I'm like, oh yeah, this person's on this show, right? Okay, so like, there's also this. There's whole plot line. And we haven't gone back to Twin Peaks barely at all. Yeah. Except, I mean, we saw but the double R. We saw. I do think we're kind of filtering that in a little more. We got Safe Read and Caleb. And the key Jones is the, and the, key. the key in the mailbox and is going to kind of get yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. My defense that would be, you know, the, the craziness of the first four episodes is kind of crystallized into a very simple Coop is stranded in Las Vegas. Evil Coop is still around. And I think they're starting to head back towards yeah. Twin Peaks. But I feel like almost like now that Lynch has, Lynch and Frost have clarified so transparently that this is not the Twin Peaks that we left, they almost feel more comfortable yeah. easing into the yeah, small town it, it, antics. And I also think it's worth looking at the show through the prism of of remembering what worked so well the first time. Now, not saying this is the same show or that it should be should be considered the same show, but what made the show so brilliant more than anything else was actually the chemistry between Frost and Lynch because Mark Frost brought a much more traditional... I mean, he has his own eccentricities and stylistic whatevers, and he's a funny guy and a funny writer... But he was writing, no one's David Lynch, let's put it that way. So, you know, you, if you think about an example of that partnership being like, if David Lynch is like a, a, a wild bird and Frost was the cage around the bird, but the bird didn't mind being in the cage, it worked. Yeah. Right? It, they, they helped each other out. Um, Lynch made it more than a TV show and Frost helped tie it to the rails. I think that what's fun about this, and I would use this to respond to people who think the Dougie stuff's going on too long, is, look, they shot the whole thing. He's not going to be wandering around like that forever. The thing to remember also is that this was written at a length that was probably nine episodes. And then they had then Lynch had fun with it and stretched it. Right. So is this traditionally is this what David Nevin saw in the script that he would be Dougie and wandering around um, <laughs> you know, pissing like a racehorse for like five weeks in Vegas? Probably not. But it's great that he is because it's so funny and it's so strange and it they're so everyone in vegas is so tolerant of him and laugh now I just like let's enjoy this because it Tom I do sizemore think, just being sizemore yeah i do think that this is going to begin to edge itself back towards yeah. convention a little bit and i would also like to say i almost don't mind the dougie stuff because and i don't think i've seen that many people say this i think kyle mclaughlin is giving an amazing yes, performance thank you I feel like the Dougie stuff is hilarious, but it's also genuinely moving. Like you feel how sad it is that this decent person is stranded and is fighting his way out of awesome. brain damage, basically. Also, let's look at that All moment. The There's a moment when he looks at the sun, at Sunny Jim in the car and the way he's looking at him and his life and he cries. Yeah, and I think beautiful. that's been an interesting theme throughout the first few episodes is these older characters almost breaking into tears over the mm-hmm. memory or the inability to break free of the characters that they have always played. Last thing before we let Allison go. Uh, what's, can you give us one more? I'm putting you on the spot. Can you give us another show we're not watching that we should be watching? Don't I say Samurai Gourmet. an upcoming show okay. that I would be happy to recommend to your viewers. Um, it's a show called Claws on TNT. Not one Santa, of, like Kitty Cat. C-L-A-W-S. Yeah, like, like Claws Out. Um, it is... A long-deserved starring role for Niecy Nash, who I think is one of our oh, yeah. best comic actresses working Reno 911. She was the best part of Scream Queen. The best part of Getting On, I would and say. And the best part of Getting On, which is, I feel like that's a little different because Getting On is just a great show and everyone's great yeah. in it. And she also has a habit of making, you know, uh, a lesser Ryan Murphy show pop. 
Uh, it's a long-deserved starring role. It's a show that was developed for HBO and therefore looks like a million bucks. It's got that Spring Breakers, American Honey, Florida Corn, Neon Everywhere aesthetic. Most importantly, I don't know if listeners of your podcast are aware of this, but there's a lot of prestige TV out mm. right now. Mm. We skirt um, around that topic, but you've really just come out yeah, and said it. Yeah, we've, we've plumbed its depths, and... You know, we're coming out of like basically a two and a half month like Emmy bait run. This yeah. is this time of year is to TV what September is to Oscar season. I am so ready for summer TV, and this just blossomed into my inbox. And what's it about? It is about a nail salon in Florida that is there tied is. up in money laundering for the Ooh. Dixie Mafia, which is apparently a thing that exists. I'm in on this. Yeah, uh, Carrie Preston, who is one of TV's best character actors, you might recognize her from The Good Wife and True Blood, is in it. Um, Karuchi Tran, who I did not know was a great, or did acting basically, uh, has a great supporting role in this. All right. And uh, the nail porn is real. So. <laughs> I'm excited. We should also, Chris, we should tell people, we're going to talk Fargo on Monday. Sure. Um, because we have a lot to talk about, especially with this last episode. Um, but finally... You're going to let me talk the Americans. And I think you're only going to let me do it because it's a little, a little negative, a little tough love for my favorite After a show. word from our sponsor. We'll be right back. Guys, me and Andy want to tell you a little bit about HelloFresh. Okay, HelloFresh is a meal kit delivery service that makes cooking much more fun. It allows you to focus on the whole experience, not just the final plate. Andy, I know you love HelloFresh. I was surprised by this whole service. They sent me a box of stuff. A yeah. A little dubious. Stuff or food? Well, there was food in it, but yeah. it was a big box. And I looked in it. There's three recipes, three meals, basically. And I like to cook. I like to, you know what else I like to do? I like to go marketing. You're a bit of a so, gourmand. I was a little skeptical of this service, but what they sent me was absolutely terrific. We made all three meals in this kit. What was your favorite? There was a roasted chicken with a pistachio crust. There was a little uh, a shrimp saganaki. Ooh. Shout out to my Greek friends out there. And then there was also a sesame beef tacos. It was kind of like a Korean-Mexican fusion thing. Every single one of these was delicious. And I have to say, not only were they delicious, they were reusable. Not the food. You can only use that once. But the recipes were really good oh, and yeah. inspired us to I do other that. kinds of cooking. That's great. HelloFresh creates new delicious recipes with step-by-step instructions designed to take around 30 minutes yep. for everyone from novices like myself mm. to basically Michelin star cooks like yourself. <laughs> they use the freshest ingredients measured to the exact quantity so there's not a lot. There's no, there's no food waste. Nope. HelloFresh delivers food straight to your doorstep in a recyclable, mm-hmm. insulated box. So I recycled mine, did both. you? You get a recyclable and an insulated box, but it's the same box. HelloFresh is now offering light spring meals and it's just introduced breakfast options. I love breakfast. Delicious ingredients you'll love to eat and simple recipes you'll love to cook. Get cooking for less than $10 a meal and you're listening to The Watch so you know it's right for $30 off your first week for, of deliveries. You yes. go to HelloFresh.com and you enter Watch 30 when you subscribe. That's dope. You just get that $30 off. That's great. You're in the black already. Get cooking! Award season is well underway, so when casting your Emmy votes this year, please consider season two of Lifetime's critically acclaimed Peabody award-winning series, Unreal, which follows the -the behind-the-scenes drama of a hit reality dating show called Everlasting. Unreal is nominated in the categories of Outstanding Drama Series, Outstanding Lead Actress in a Drama Series for Sheree Appleby, and her portrayal of the flawed everlasting producer and master manipulator Rachel Goldberg. Outstanding supporting actress in a dra- drama series for the watch fave Constance Zimmer in her role as the sharp-tongued and demanding executive producer of Everlasting, Quinn King. Please also consider Lifetime's Project Runway, the iconic fashion design competition series that, quote, made it work in its 15th season. 
Project Runway is nominated in the Emmy categories of Outstanding Reality Competition Program and Outstanding Host for a Reality or Reality Competition Program for Heidi Klum and Tim Gunn's work on the show. Thank you for your consideration. All right, Andy's going to talk to Rob Harvilla right now about uh, the Americans. So because Chris has exempted himself from this conversation, I need someone to chat with. I took a draft deferment on this one. So I placed a call to the Ringer's own Residentura, <laughs> and I got Rob Harvilla on the phone. Rob, you wrote a piece last week on the Ringer about this. Um, I, I'm searching for an adjective. Maybe you're going to help me find one. This uh, sodden fifth season of The Americans. <laughs> Uh, Biden is excellent. We, I wish I had thought of Sodden. We we got. I've only got one adjective. You had a whole piece that I completely agreed with. We, so, we, <laughs> okay, right, good, uh, comrade. We got to talk about this. We got to talk about what what went wrong. Something was rotten in Moscow. I think it. I think it was just there. Just wasn't enough plot. I think it very simply like it was just a botched math equation where there just there just wasn't enough happening. I think you, they they killed Nina off and they didn't replace her. And they resolved Martha, and they didn't replace her. And they were just sort of stuck with this thing where not really much was happening, and they just sort of reiterated that everyone is very sad, <laughs> you know, in, in ways, you know, in, in less effective ways than they already had. I, I, I think it really is that simple. Like, if you're, five, if you're five seasons deep into the show by now, like, I think you're on its wavelength, and it is a very much a slower and more dour and sodden kind of thing. Like it's not one for melodrama or like huge action or just huge happenings whatsoever. Like it's a lot of very, very pretty people like sulking, you know, and you're down with that at this point. But I think even within that context, this season just felt really airless and just sort of motionless. I, I could not agree with you more. And people, I, I was going to say longtime listeners, but longtime listeners of The Watch rarely hear me talk about the Americans. <laughs> I don't allow it. Because I got Stonewall Jackson over here. <laughs> but, um, but you know, I, I completely agree with what you're saying. I think there was unquestionably a, a vacuum created by the absence of two of the show's more compelling characters in Nina and Martha, although Martha did return slightly. Uh, I've heard Alan yeah. Seppenwald say that he feels that two-season renewals are dangerous things. Now, The Americans was renewed for two seasons, this season that we just watched and the upcoming final season. And his concern yeah. was that, you know, when you get the two-season renewal, you start pacing things in an unnatural way to build up to your conclusion. I kind of want to uh, I kind of want to give that uh, viewpoint some credence, but at the same time, they didn't do anything this season, as far as I can tell, to set up next season. In fact, it was a, a very dramatic exercise in, in essentially installing. And what I'm wondering, right. and, and I think this, this picks up what you were saying when you were talking about what the show, the show's hallmarks and what we have, you know, and, and I still feel this way, we have loved the show for, is this really remarkable, um, subtle, emotional storytelling where the plot didn't necessarily yeah. expand outwards. It just drilled deeper and deeper and closer to the bone. What concerned me about this season, and it very well could be an aberration, there's certainly going to be plot next year, whether they like it or not. But what concerned me about it is that, and I have not talked to Joe and Joel, the showrunners, about this, but it strikes me that they maybe were feeling a little bit critically bulletproof and took a big swing. And the big swing was, well, they love when we do this sort of anti-storytelling. Let's just do a whole season of that. Right. No, I think there's a danger, and this was... 
you know, this was their big, they finally got like the Emmy nominations and they finally started to get the attention, like the establishment attention that they'd always wanted. You know, like this, this show used to be on everybody's best show that you're not watching list. And like the, the ratings did not reflect the quality and all that kind of thing. Like between, you know, the Emmy nods and between, you know, Matthew and Carrie, like becoming this sort of power couple, I think that they just, they attained a certain level of celebrity you know, got a certain amount of accolades that they mm-hmm. hadn't had before. And, and I don't know if that makes you sort of slow down or stop. But, but yeah, I, I think it's more likely that it was the two-season thing, you know, that they, they had called their tune and they knew exactly how they wanted to go out. And it was understandable given that, that yeah, like the first of the two remaining seasons would be more of a setup. But, like, I'm, I'm sort of – I've been trying to think – if somebody loved the show but for some reason had not started this last season yet, it's like you don't need to watch it. No. I mean, you can if you can have the plot movement explained to you in like thirty seconds. Yeah, and and you know, and, 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 and you would in most of that plot discussion would say Oleg Burov investigates grocery store fraud for twelve right, like hours. That, That's not a joke. Chris is laughing. Not a joke. Me. That that felt very deliberate to me. Like it, it, it's hard to believe that that wasn't them being like, "What is literally the most boring thing that we can but, think of to send him to go do?" And like, meanwhile, there's a whole midges and wheat situation happening. Like it was just, it, it felt like perverse. Yeah, how it, dull they were trying to make this stuff. It, it's like when uh, what you were talking about with the Emmy attention. It reminded me of like if I'm driving my my older daughter home from school and she says something funny and we go home to the dinner table and I mentioned to my wife that our daughter said something funny and and she says I don't want to do it you do it. It's like she she definitely doesn't <laughs> want the attention and in fact she wants to yeah. sabotage the moment. I to your right. to your point, um, it, it's one thing to say the season is going to be about food or whatever the the theme was, but then to completely abandon uh-huh. what? Yeah, right. well, because it was about it was about wheat. I mean, listen. It, it was a, the season was a failure, Chris. You, you, you guys, you, you win. But the but then a, to abandon it halfway through was even was even stranger. And and to talk about right. things that just didn't pay off. I mean, we don't need every episode to be The Walking Dead. You do not need every episode to end with a bang. But you need an episode to end with something. Yeah. I mean, episode one ended with with uh, Philip and Elizabeth digging a hole for fifteen minutes. I believe episodes yes, four, nine, and ten, and I'm just I'm just I'm just guessing here, ended with one of them looking at the other like to, mm-hmm. to the point where I was like, that's just technically, that's not even an act out Then it, then it said stay tuned for scenes for the next. I'm like, I'd like some scenes from this one. It, but, <laughs> but, but, but to your other point, the, the, the last season set up what was appeared to be the big um, plot point for this year, which was the appearance of Phillips heretofore unknown son, Misha. Right. I Mi- forgot about that. Mi- that was even weirder. Misha traveled to America where he was greeted by Frank Langella, which is, I believe, part of um, the treaties we have with with with, with yeah. Europe and, and the East is that Franklin Geller will greet you. Better thing. And he was told... You might want to check those treaties, by the way. <laughs> Listen, everything's in flux right now. I don't know if you've been watching the news. And he tells him he this isn't going to happen, so he should go back. And then he goes back. And he does. And then I read um, Joe Weisberg, the show's creator and co-showrunner's interview with Alan Sepinwall talking about the Misha plot. And to him, the other time we saw Misha was when he was breaking bread with Philip's heretofore unseen brother, that this was right. a emotional release for him, this scene, that he wept when he saw it. And that... Joe did. Joe did. And I, I wept wow. when I read that mm-hmm. because that worried me so, so much about I'm what... I'm weeping it, now. I know. I know. You know, it, it's... 
shows have had bad, good shows have had bad seasons. Um, you know, Friday Night Lights famously had season two. Um, I, I, I'm sure there are others that I'm blanking on right now, but, but how do you feel? I mean, you, you and I are alike and that we've committed so much time to the show. We love the show and we have definitely stood on that wall explaining to people why they should be watching it. And then we get this. Yeah. So how, how are you feeling right now? Well, I, I was thinking in that last extremely boring run of episodes this season, like, is there anything that could happen that could get me to stop watching? Like I have invested a goodly amount of time, you know, and, and dramatic emotion into this show at this point. Like, I'm not going to stop watching now. You know, if I know there's one more season left, there's nothing that's going to turn me away. But this was definitely the first season that I considered, like, just skipping yeah. chunks of the season to playing my hunch that nothing was going to happen and nothing happened. And I, I, one thing that I wanted to get into in my piece that I didn't was that even Philip and Elizabeth as, like, further corrupted or, or conflicted people, I, they, they sort of went backward there, too. Because the I other agree. big thing that happened in season four that I really liked was Young E. Was was the Korean, yep. the Mary Kay woman who Great. who Elizabeth befriends and like actually befriends? Like for the first time, you see that she really like likes the person who she's she's playing, the person who she's talking to, and like manipulating in whatever way. And she's legitimately sort of conflicted about like ruining this person's life. Like I that that seemed like a major milestone for me and her character and just Philip and Elizabeth like their arc. And to, to go back now to be. You know, now they're pilots. They're fake pilots for some reason. They have this new family, and, like, the dad's a blowhard, and, like, the mom's okay but kind of whiny, and, like, the kid is a mess. Like, they, they, they're they, sort of in, attuned to them because, you know, they, they recognize themselves in these people, but there there isn't that emotional connection. You know, yes. they don't feel as bad about ruining their lives until right at the very end. Like, it, that's, that seems like a major step backward, too. Like, the way this season ends, with them deciding to stay reluctantly to stay in America as opposed to, to get out. Like I, it, I just feel like they've screwed up that I, arc as I, well. I, I completely agree. The fact that the fact that it ended in such a strange atonal way was, was, was one thing, but the fact that the, the plot event that swung them into staying was based on the yeah. Kimmy plot, which has been largely absent right. for two years. Now I think that's because, um, Julia Garner, who's the great actress who plays Kimmy, has largely been unavailable. So I'm, you know, I'm grateful right. anytime she can be on the show. But I, I felt it was a, a mistake to swing the season on her sudden reemergence. But deeper than that, what you're speaking to is the thing that worries me most about going into the last season, which is that they seem to have lost a little bit of the barometer of the characters' inner emotional lives. And I right. continue to think that the the biggest missed opportunity on the show for a number of seasons has been the idea that Philip loves America. That was present early on in the show. Remember, he puts on the cowboy boots. You see him taking Henry to the hockey games. There's something about America that yeah. appeals to him, and that was the divide between him and Elizabeth. Now we've right. gone on this place where Philip is getting more and more disturbed. He's getting darker. The, 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 it's, it's adding up. The toll is being taken on him is, is very, very present, which is fine. Yeah. But he doesn't like anything, and none of them like anything. Right. And so there's no balance. There's, we, we don't we're losing our connection to these people because they are no longer people. They're these abstracts who shoot two elderly strangers point blank in the head and then get in a car and say, Oh, we should probably think about leaving. It's, right. we're, we're, no. we're, we're sort of all, we're, we're lost at sea with this. 
Yeah, I agree completely. I mean, that's I really like that early thing where it, it sort of set up the possibility, and this is like a way more grandiose thing than the show, you know, does ordinarily, but like pitting them against each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like he decides to stay, he decides to, to cross over and actually be an American, whether, you know, as a, as a, as a spy for them or whatever. But, but that conflict I was really intrigued by just as you were. And I, yeah, we've completely lost that at this point. Like he's just, he's just dour, you know, he's just, he's just depressed about everything. It, it, it's also very odd that, you know, the, the central, one of the central tensions in the show was meant to be Stan, their neighbor and friend as the FBI agent who will right. inevitably bring them down. I, yeah. I, 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 a year ago, if we were talking about this, I would have saluted the show for continuing to downplay that and let them live their lives and let them be friends and, you know, not steering into the more obvious conflict. But now Stan spent yeah. the year dating someone and playing racquetball. He literally accomplished nothing this year, and so I guess his discovery right. of this of what's going on is going to be crammed into the last few episodes, which might make for an exciting last few episodes. But all yeah. of a sudden, it, this is the nature of TV sometimes that ev- things that I was ready to say were brilliant are starting to look a little bit, a little bit wonky. So, to to sum up, where where are you? Where, where are you with the show in relation to other shows that you enjoy and to the TV landscape as a whole? And just you know, how much vodka are you drinking at this point in hopes of, of getting Mojo back for next year? I'm more of a gin guy. I know that's not thematically uh, no, appropriate. That really but, ruined. Know, I mean, that really ruined my joke. Yeah, it's it's it screwed the whole thing up. I apologize. I, you know, again, it's there's nothing that's going to stop me from watching the show at this point. I do think that it was my favorite show on TV for several years. There, you know, probably the fourth and the my, my brother second, third, fourth season. <laughs> that and Justified. Like I, I thought it. I loved Justified, and I thought oh. it aired really well. Would justify. It was only a year or two, I think, that that was true. That they were both on the air at yep. the same time. But I, I can't really explain why. But they, they really complemented each other well. I mean, I am, I am sort of curious whether. I mean, now that you have some experience in, in working in television, writing on television, do you think that they're doing that two-year renewal and getting a little bit more attention, like, and just coming into this season with a different kind of expectation and a different end game, like kind of screwed them up. Like they had sort of a pattern where they were going year for year by year and they didn't know if they were going to get renewed um, every time. No, because I think that the one thing that I have learned is that, you know, things are generally kind of hush, hush, wink, wink, people kind of know. And I don't think they ever felt they were in jeopardy after the first season. I think that it was pretty okay. clear that they were going to be fine. And I also know yeah. Joe and Joel, and they are very deliberate, very thoughtful guys who just, you know, and you can see this in the, the best seasons they made. They don't respond to external events that, you know, that dramatically. And I think they were prepared to tell the right. story they were going to tell. Um, maybe they only had five years of story. And so the two-year thing was like a gift yeah. in the sense that they get to keep working, but maybe a curse in that they didn't have that much. I don't know. But and I hope I get a chance to talk to them about it because they're generally very open about this stuff. And, um, you know, they've made each season slightly different. So I I would and and because the nature of it, it's going to be different next year. But but it's it's a head scratcher, man. And it it, and it's it's, and, and, you know, I have to look. I mean, you're you're spared this right now, but I'm looking at Chris right now. And he's just basically his eyes are just screaming. I I told you so, except in Russian. I never I sure I I would I would never do that to you. You would do that to me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I think the truth is that by this time next year, by the time of the premiere of the final season, I will have forgotten, you know, all that there is to know about this season, which isn't very much, obviously. And like, I'll like, 
you know, like I, I, you know, nine months from now or whatever it is, I think it's, it's going to be sort of an all is forgiven kind of situation. And I have to imagine that like, yeah, like plot wise or emotionally, like things are going to have to accelerate from here. Like they're going to have to do something. Yeah. The plus and side, so I think that's going to paper over whatever just happened. The plus side of nothing happening this year is that nothing happened this year. So it's not like they have to yeah. undo anything for next year. They just pick that's up and true. do yeah. something better. Anyway, Rob, I, I thank you. Thank you for allowing me to talk about the Americans on the watch. To the, to the <laughs> Americans fans out there, I'm sorry we took time to do it when it was negative, but you know it's tough love. It, this is what this is what American parenting should be like, right? You you pay right. attention to your kids and you tell them when you're not doing well, and if they get into an elite prep school, you do not let them go. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks, Rob. Later, Rob. Thanks everybody for listening. We're out. Uh, we'll be back on Monday. We'll talk Fargo and Twin Peaks and everything else that happened in pop culture over the weekend. Thanks Great for listening, job, guys. Ransky. Today's show was brought to you by the new Spotify original podcast, Mogul, The Life and Death of Chris Lighty, produced by Gimlet Media and Loudspeakers Network. Mogul details the illustrious hip-hop career of Chris Lighty and his rise to success before his unfortunate and untimely end. This story is broader than just music. It's the story of the American dream. Follow and listen to Mogul, The Life and Death of Chris Lighty, every week starting April 27th on Spotify. When casting your Emmy votes this year, please consider season two of Lifetime's critically acclaimed Peabody Award-winning series, Unreal, which follows the behind-the-scenes drama of a hit reality dating show called Everlasting. Unreal is nominated in the following categories, Outstanding Drama Series, Outstanding Lead Actress in a Drama Series for Sheree Appleby's portrayal of Rachel Goldberg, and Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Drama Series for Constance Zimmer's role as Quinn King. Thank you for your consideration. 